This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 31st, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. Iran doesn't have much over the United States in terms of freedom, except perhaps for one thing. Iranians may be compensated for donating kidneys, and in allowing it, Iran has dramatically reduced the shortage of those organs nationwide. Sigrid Fry Revere is author of The Kidney Sellers, A Journey of Discovery in Iran. We spoke following a book event last week. If you're someone with chronic kidney disease in Iran, you can, with the help of the government, purchase a kidney and save your life. While in this country, that's against the law. How does it function? They have an NGO, so a non-governmental organization, where they have volunteers who are either former kidney donors or former kidney recipients who set up a program where they match kidney donors and recipients. Um, Once they have a medical match, people go through psychological testing um, and they see a social worker and then they actually match people also based on need and ability to pay. So let's say the donor has $10,000 in debt. They will either find a recipient who can pay the $10,000 or they will supplement with charity and government funding to meet the donor's needs. How serious is the organ shortage in the United States and how much of that is just kidneys? In the United States, there are about 120,000 people waiting for organs right now and 100,000 of those are people who need kidneys. Um, So it's, uh, the numbers don't add up, but it's about 84% of people who need organs in the United States need kidneys. So it's by and large the largest part of the organ shortage. And it's also really the only organ where you can very safely donate one kidney because you have two um, as a living donor as opposed to cadaver, which is how most organs are, are donated. What do you think prevents the United States from trying something like this? Certainly there's some just natural repugnance toward uh, taking a piece of you, a, a arguably critical piece of you, and exchanging it for something so gauche as, as money or payment. It's very interesting because I was surprised to see in Iran where this has been going on for 30 years. They've been compensating kidney donors for 30 years. There was a very conscientious effort to change the language used and to say it was a service not a sale. So a donor provides a service to the recipient, to humanity, to his country. And somehow that language makes it more acceptable and makes it more of an important endeavor, like someone who's a firefighter or a hero of some kind. And as a matter of fact, they get exempt from military service because if they have donated a kidney. They've already served their country. So that's how that's how it's viewed there yeah. now. Yeah, it is, and it's because the language is um, very important to making that exchange possible from a human standpoint. You know, they would always say, um, "No matter how much you pay me for my kidney, it's saving a life." And how much is that worth? And so they work very hard to humanize it and take it out of not commerce exactly. I mean, it's still paying someone for a service, but it's not widgets. You know, you don't have a stack of kidneys 
and here, buy one, buy, see you tomorrow or the next time you need one. Um, they're trying to give it more weight. And service somehow is, is one way to give it more standing than simply selling widgets. What is a medical establishment in the United States? Where are they on that? And uh, I mean, libertarians have broadly viewed this as sort of a no-brainer in terms of efficiency and self-ownership. But where does a medical establishment come down? Very mixed. I think, uh, unfortunately, the medical establishment, like the public in general, um, has the black market as the one example. And the atrocities on the black market are pretty serious. The exploitation of the poor, people not getting informed consent, people being promised money and not getting it, safety issues. I mean, it really is the most desperate of people who resort to illegal activity to try to make a little money. Um, and, you know, Iran is the only country in the world that has legalized the exchange of money as far as kidneys are concerned and donation, compensated donation. And they are the only country that has solved its kidney shortage. It's hard to believe that those two aren't related. <laughs> are there any uh, parallels in the United States with respect to, you know, I mean, we have plasma, people donate blood. Mm -hmm. There are registries for the donation of marrow, bone marrow. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, how comparable are those? Um, I actually think they're pretty comparable or the sale of, like you said, blood and plasma or egg donation, which people also speak of in both ways, um, that people get paid for egg donation, right? It seems like a contradiction when you use the word donation, but in Iran, it isn't. And then there are other contexts where we use those words together as well. Sperm donation. Sperm donors get paid. And some reason, you know, there's articles out there where ethicists are saying, you can't put those two words together. That's a contradiction. But obviously, we already use those terms together. And I think the reason we do is because no matter how much you pay someone for those things, helping someone else is more than just a straight payment. So it still is a donation. Between starting this book and finishing it, what was the most surprising thing you learned uh, about this process that takes place in Iran? I was amazed at how the process was totally devoid of exploitation like you would have expected um, based on what people were saying that Iran was just like the black market, for example. They had informed consent. They could have more. But the general public knew about what was going on. They knew other people. The, these, these kidney donors or sellers would have spoken to other people who had sold their kidneys. So even if the medical community, which did inform them, but I felt they maybe should have been informed a little earlier, these people already knew what they were getting into because it's so widespread in, in the population. And when I asked them, do you feel exploited? A few people said yes, but the reason they felt exploited is they felt they weren't being paid enough. So the notion of payment didn't bother them at all. Um, what bothered them is they would sometimes say, wait a minute, why is my sacrifice worth less than somebody else's? So that would bother them. But not once did someone say, oh, because I got cheated and you know, wasn't paid what I was promised or whatever, because that doesn't happen. They put the money in escrow, you sign a contract, 
You know, you get what you're promised. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't see anything at all. I mean, not that it couldn't happen, but I didn't see anything at all like what you see on the black market. So if it happens, if there's exploitation at all, I think they're outlier cases. So perhaps just by virtue of the fact that this is legal, there's a free exchange of information about it that no other country in the world really has. Exactly. Exactly. And and, and that's what surprised me. What surprised me, I knew it from a philosophical standpoint that when you legalize something, it normalizes it and takes away the shock value and you had more middle class people donating and buying kidneys. You know, now you have a black market where very wealthy people buy from very, very poor people in foreign countries. And in Iran, where it's legal and it's an exchange that people do on a regular basis, it just becomes a normal part of life, one of many options. And I guess that's what surprised me, how normal it seemed to people. In terms of getting something uh, comparable in the United States with respect to, uh, let's just call it what it is, buying and selling kidneys, providing the service donation, however you, whatever you want to call it, what is the low-hanging fruit in terms of trying to move to a more rational, efficient uh, policy for this type of uh, transaction? Well, in the United States, it is there is currently a disincentive, financial disincentive to donate because the insurance companies and the hospitals will cover medical-related costs, but not incidentals. So not travel, hotel, meals, and the bigger expenses after your surgery, the recovery time. You know, you might need a babysitter, you might not, you might be on unpaid leave, things like that. And so there's actually a disincentive, financial disincentive to donate. And I think the low hanging fruit is that if we can convince Congress to either allow private organizations or Medicare to cover that for some people, there'll be a huge savings for Medicare because dialysis is so much more expensive than a transplant. Um, the actual procedure itself is like 80000 versus eighteen. But once you count things like the incidental costs of caring for patients on diabetes and, and um, the fact that they're on um, disability and things like that, it's closer to 300000 So for every patient who's moved off dialysis onto transplant, they're saving all this money. And recipients aren't allowed to pay for these items? Recipients are allowed to pay for... Um, transportation, uh, hotels, and meals related directly to the surgery. Not af Well, after the fact, they're also actually allowed to compensate um, donors for demonstrable lost wages. But the problem is it limits the people who can use living donors to really the richest of the rich, and it also limits donors themselves to that group because you have to have enough money up front in the bank to survive two or three months of recovery before you get reimbursed from your recipient, if that makes sense. So, you know, it really limits those people who can get living donations to the top financial rungs of society. And that's why you've got 100,000 people languishing on dialysis and maybe 15% get a transplant a year um, because there aren't enough recipients who can afford to pay a donor that kind of money. 
Sigrid Fry-Revere is author of The Kidney Sellers, A Journey of Discovery in Iran. We spoke following a forum for the book last week. You can watch the forum at our website, cato.org.